Good morning. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. Um, I've got to be honest, there's some very brave people in this church. Because when Tim said there's premarital class and everyone needs some form of preparation for marriage, some people just started laughing. And they were sitting right next to their spouse and everything. And I'm just saying, that's quite... Hey, Sean? Just like, just like, ha <laughs> yeah, it's true. I'm like, bro, it's one of those drives home, you know, you want, my wife's like, why, <laughs> why are you speeding? I'm like, get home as soon as I can, so this will end. But anyway, um, not my wife, other people, you know, like technically. Um, we are continuing our series on uh, community, courageous community, and uh, it's the idea that uh, God has called us to be a part of a community. And uh, I just know for sure that this journey, for some people, they're like, yeah, awesome, this is the best thing ever. I want to be a part of a community. Other people are like, yeah, not so sure. You know, you need some convincing. Other people were really part of a community at one stage, and then maybe life circumstances happened or something changed, or maybe you've been a part of a community and uh, you got burnt or hurt in the process. Um, all of those things, uh, I'm, we're speaking into all those spaces, and yet the truth is that the Bible's actually got quite a lot to say about this. Like, quite a lot. Like, if you really start looking, um, the Bible's got a little bit to say. So, I, I did some research on one another verses. Like, there's a whole bunch of verses that say, love one another, pray for one another, care for one another, bear one another's burdens, uh, wash one another's feet. That's awesome. So... You ready, eh? Um, but it's the whole idea of being humble and serving one another. There's another one which greets one another with a holy kiss. That's awesome. The guys in the evening service are looking for wives. Really dig that one. Um, but, uh, but essentially, uh, it was a, a way of greeting family members. And uh, what they're saying is have an attitude or approach to someone that is familiar or like family. Okay? So we don't have to do the awkward. Because, you know, there is that moment like with greet one another with a holy kiss where you don't know how that works. You know, because like sometimes someone goes in for the kiss and like I hated when like it doesn't really happen anymore, but back in the day like some old ladies used to kiss me on the lips. And I used to always just hoy the cheek at the last moment because it's like weird, you know. Um, and then when you go to new cultures, it's different. Uh, so I went to Norway and, and the, I met this, my friend's mother-in-law and she came like this. So I gave her a kiss on the cheek and he was like, why are you kissing my mother-in-law? I was like, what? Like in Norway, they just touch. It's not like the French, so I got that wrong. Um, so like sometimes you've got to investigate. Like community thing doesn't always work simply. You actually have to like figure out how stuff works in the community and that kind of stuff. And I'm actually going to speak about stewarding a community. And you're like, who is Stuart? You know, not Stuart, steward. Stewarding with a D. Uh, basically, when you steward something, you believe that what you have in your possession belongs to someone else and you're looking after it. And so you want to do a good job for whoever's entrusted that thing to you. And the Bible speaks primarily that we're meant to be stewards. God's given us gifts, for example, gifts to build his church. And we steward those gifts for the building up of the church. God has given us uh, finances. We steward those finances for the sake of the kingdom and for our families. God's given us time. We, we get to choose what we do with that, you know. And um, all of those things are gifts from God that we uh, have to steward for God. And one of the things is community. One of the things we have to steward is community. So, and the difference between a steward mindset and a, I suppose a consumer mindset is that when you're a consumer, you come to a community and you're going, what is this community going to do for me? 
But when you've got a stewarding mindset, you're going, I'm a part of this community, so who are we going to be to people? I'm a part of the solution to whatever I'm looking at. And I'm actually going to tell you a story about Chris the consumer and Ian the investor. I'm going to be speaking about money, um, but then it's, a, it's an analogy. Uh, metaphorical, these people aren't real, although I could probably name some. Um, but it's a story about money, and it will teach us about community, how to invest in community versus consume in community. So Chris, the consumer, always had the latest shoes and the trendiest clothes. He got the latest phone, and when he climbed the corporate ladder, he upgraded his car, and he went on the best holidays. Chris, the consumer, ate salmon toast for breakfast. Ian, the investor, was different. He was always neat and presentable, and he lived in a modest home and drove a modest car. He went on modest holidays, and he just seemed content with what he had, but he was using his money for something different. He was investing it in affordable property, in tax-free investments, and an investment portfolio with his trusty financial advisor. When Chris, the consumer, and Ian, the investor, hit 50, they were in very different financial situations. Chris, the consumer, was starting to get really stressed. He was always trying to make extra money, Working a second job, uh, and working a second job, and it took its toll on him. The holidays were gone, and he didn't even know how to dress trendy anymore, let alone be able to afford it. On the other hand, Ian, the investor, seemed calmed and stress-free. He had reduced his responsibilities at work, and he had a good work-life balance. He lived in a nice house, debt-free, and the granny flat he had built on the property several years ago was paid off and rented, and the rent was covering the costs of running the property. He and his wife had plans to travel. Now, there's a number of lessons to learn uh, from this investment mindset because there's a mindset of a consumer and there's a mindset of an investor. And I've got five points uh, about an investor mindset. Number one, delayed gratification. You can spend now or you can save. You can't do both with the same money, okay? And, uh, and so you've got, got to have the concept of delayed gratification. I'm going to invest now so I can enjoy something later. A long-term view. Finances are a lifelong issue, and you won't always earn as you are now, and it's the same with our health. God's given you health now, and your health won't always be what it is right now. So you've got to invest in your health for a brighter future. You've got to invest in your career now for a brighter future. You've got to invest in your family or your faith now for a brighter future, and all of these need a long-term view. Number three, this is a heart issue. Investment is a heart issue. You see, people can find their identity in their possessions. They need people to see them have all the latest stuff so that they'll think certain things about them. It's an issue of the heart. Whereas people who can find their identity in something more stable and their identity or the way they see themselves informs the way they spend their money, not the way they spend their money informs the way they see themselves. It's the reverse. Number four, is a, it's a vision issue. You see, you can't live this way unless you have a financial vision for your future and you believe it's attainable and it's realistic. And so you need a vision, a vision to invest. And number five, it's a faith issue. That investment actually works. If you have the view that the whole financial system is gonna crash, then you're not gonna invest. If you got the view, Jesus is coming back at, before I hit 65, you're not gonna save for retirement. You, you laugh, but literally my parents told me a story when they were in their mid-twenties, the church was preaching, Jesus is coming back soon, which is biblical. It's throughout the Bible. And people were like, that's awesome. I'm cashing in my retirement, and I'm going to spend it. Now, it's a problem. 
True story. So you've got to have faith that what you're investing in is going to return results, otherwise you won't do it. But now, here's the thing which is unseen. We always think of the, the, the um, consequences of living as a consumer, the consequences of living as an investor, but the truth is that the, one of the biggest consequences is who Chris the consumer became and who Ian the investor became. Because their choices that they consistently made changed them as a person or formed them as a person. So Chris the consumer was impulsive. He didn't live according to a plan for his vision and his, and his finances, and he made decisions in the moment. When he was sad, he went for retail therapy. When he was happy, he celebrated with retail therapy. His emotional life reflected his financial choices. Even the investor, on the other hand, was a disciplined and self-controlled person. He was used to going without, and he learned to be content with what he had. He was okay with not fitting in, and so his sense of self was stronger because he knew who he was. And he lived his life according to a set of principles, and so he became a principled man. Now, what if what we're talking about, as I said, this is an analogy. So what happens if what we're talking about if it wasn't about money, but it was about community? What if we're talking about consuming or investing? We're not talking about consuming or investing money, so spending or saving. We're talking about consuming or investing in community. So either I'm served by a community or I serve a community. You see, when we have expectations of a community without a sense of responsibility for it, we expect that community to give us something and we don't expect ourselves to give something back. You know, I'm so grateful that we have so many investors in this church. And I'm looking at a whole bunch of people that I know have spent hours and hours and hours investing in the life of this church. You don't build a church like this with a couple people. You don't build a church like this with a staff. You don't build a church like this. You can have the best staff in the world, but unless you've got investors throughout the community, you just don't build a church like this. And so I'm so grateful that God has given us so many investors. And I really want to say thank you. And so what we're going to do is we're going to work through those five points and discuss it in the context of community, of being an investor in community. Number one, delayed gratification. What does stewarding a community look like? Number one, delayed gratification. See, consumption is about what I need right now. And investing is about my long-term vision and desires for my life. Just like investing finances, investing in community is not always convenient. Think about it like this. There's so many aspects of life. When you change something for the better, you need a long-term view, but you've got to have delayed gratification because it's not always easy. Think about starting a new exercise regime. It's like you pumped for the first week. Anyone made New Year's resolutions here? Anyone still keeping them? Ah, so, so. Because we hit resistance, right? New exercise regime, you start your life. First week, you're pumped, you're waking up early, you're exercising. Second week, hey, third week. I think I need to like renegotiate my goals. Uh, I, I changed my diet recently and I went gluten-free. It's a big call, eh? It's a big call because I made it, obviously I'm married to Teresa and she loves pasta. So it's a big call for us because now, now she has to cook two types of pasta. I'm joking. I, I just heat up micro, uh, baked potato, baby potatoes in the microwave and eat those. Um, but 
it's a big call. And, and so you go there, and when you go out, like it's a little bit, you're going to make choices. And I was like committed. And then all of a sudden, I went to a bra, and someone said, hey, Gaza, do you want a beer? And I was like, gluten-free. <laughs> and all of a sudden, it was a little bit harder, you know, to make that choice. And then when I said yes, my wife was like, oh, really? I'm the one carrying the can, yeah. So there's so many things in life that along the way you've got to have delayed gratification because it's not convenient to make changes, and this absolutely implies with investing in community. How does it apply, you say? Picture this. It's a Wednesday night. You've already had three hectic days. You're tired, and you want to get onto Netflix and veg but you've made a commitment to go to life group. You know what I'm talking about. Anyone been there? And then the first two people say, hey, sorry, can't make tonight. And you're like, hey, that's my chance. <laughs> Woo! Because you don't want to be the first person to bail. And then all of a sudden, you've got a choice. Am I going to invest or am I going to consume? Am I going to meet my personal need in the moment or am I going to output? Because you know your leader's prepared. They're also busy. But they prepared and they prayed and they made sure their home was ready. Just saying, like, And other people are going to be going there. And you know, the choice is, do I rock up and do I give my best? Or do I send that? Sorry. Or it's a Sunday morning and you're down to serve in your serving team. And they get you at 7 o'clock. The worship guys get you at like quarter to 7 or half past 6. You're like, oh, it's amazing. Let me tell you. Let's just go home and sleep afterwards. And you've had a busy week and a busy weekend. And tomorrow looks like a perla of a beach day, Saturday night, and you're just like, oh, should I go and connect with my team and serve with them, or do I bail and invest or consume? I don't know how many times I've been in this space, and let me tell you, if it wasn't my job, <laughs> like, because I understand, like, <laughs> It's harder, like when you don't, you don't ask that question, like, should I go to work in the morning? It's, it's my job, like, I get it. <laughs> but it's amazing how many times you go and you come home and you're glad you did. And you're glad you did, you're glad you made that choice. And then the Bible says, Jesus says something like this, is very inconvenient, some of the things Jesus says. He said, let your yes be yes, and your no, no. So you can say, no, I will not come to life group. But don't say, yes, I'm coming to life group. And then on the night, say no. You can say, no, I won't serve in a serving team here. But don't say, yes, I'm going to serve in the serving team. But on the night before or the morning of, say no. You have boundaries. You can say, no, I'm not going to be a part of a life group. But if you sign up, that's a yes. It's so inconvenient, some of the things Jesus says. Hebrews 10, 
Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good. There's one of those one another verses. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another. Another one another verse. It's hard to encourage them when you're not there. Especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Let us not neglect the gathering of the saints. Let me tell you, at some point in this process, you're going to want to neglect meeting. You're going to want to neglect, neglect meeting. Darn it. <laughs> you want to ne- neglect meeting. I'm a better preacher and I can speak. Because you're tired or because that person's there or because it's inconvenient or because you've been hurt and burnt. And the question is, I mean, the, the whole principle is, is don't neglect it. Keep doing it. Number two, we need a long-term view. Just like investing in finances and investing in community needs a long-term view. Sometimes there's a, a big difference, a big time lapse between my investment and the time, how I reap. Look here, Galatians 6, 9 to 10. It says, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. See, the, the, the principle of sowing and reaping is a spiritual principle. Just like gravity is a physical principle, if you want to survive in this world, you have to figure gravity out pretty soon. Otherwise, it's going to have a short life. If you're going to want to survive and grow and do well in the kingdom, you're going to have to figure out the principle of sowing and reaping. Otherwise, you're going to have a miserable experience or a little bit of spiritual life. And what this is, is we're so used to this concept when it comes to finances. Hey, tithing. But actually, the context of this is in terms of relationship and sowing into the body of Christ. So then when the opportunity comes along to do something good for someone, you're like, ha, there's a chance for me to sow. And the harvest is coming. You're in a life group, here's an opportunity for me to sow and invest in people. The harvest is coming. A serving team is an opportunity for you to invest. The harvest is coming. And let me tell you, at some point, it says, do not get tired of doing what is good. At some point, you will be tired of doing what's good. Keep doing what's good. Keep investing. Because it says, there, a harvest of blessing, for in the right time, we will reap, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Keep going. Keep investing. Number three, it's a heart issue. If someone says, I love God but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. Ooh, sorry, I think I picked the wrong verse. It's pretty hectic. I'm sorry, I didn't write this stuff. It's in the Bible. The Bible said I've got to preach it. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. Well, if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command, those who love God must also love their fellow believers. See, the whole point is it's a heart issue. It's an issue of the heart. 
Because sometimes we can be like, yeah, 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 I, I, I love my fellow believer. I just don't like them. I love them, but from afar. And then Romans 12, verse 9 says this, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. And you're like, oh, you, you got me snooker there. You see, so often we say, no, I love God, but I just struggle with these people, this church. And the Bible says, actually, well, you can't say that because it's a diagnostic of where your heart's at. Don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. This is like you can't fake this stuff. This is an overflow of the heart. Genuine affection, take delight in honoring each other. Find a way, Bones, you're looking skinny, my bro. Every time I see him, I tell him that. And he sees me, Gazzy, you're looking buff. And I'm like, oh, thanks, bro. But sometimes we're awkward about this because what it does is, is the world teaches us so often to see what's wrong in other people and get frustrated with them. And the Bible says, train yourself to see what's right about people and, and honor them. Like tell that guy, you know what? You're such a blessing. And, and when you're at the meetings or when I'm leading and you beside me, I actually feel like I can lead better. And like when you look your brother in the eye and say that, some blokes get awkward. And they're like, all of a sudden everyone's looking at their shoes. Because we're not used to this. But you're training your heart to see the best in people. Never be lazy. Oh, come on, like sometimes. Let me tell you, even God rested one day a week, so there's a Sabbath somewhere in your week. You get to chill out. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble. Keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help him. Always be eager to practice hospitality. It's just like, you know on the boxing bag where the oak's like this? It's like that in your face. Like, it's just like, pray. Always be ready to show hospitality. Never be lazy. Serve the Lord enthusiastically. Show genuine affection. Delight in honoring. It's just like, there's a lot the Bible says about our relationships with community. Number four, it's a vision issue. You can ask people, what's your financial vision for your future? And I can equally ask you, what is your community vision for your future? Where do you want your experience of community to go? What do you want it to look like in 20 years' time? And then I've got this question, is your vision realistic? I've met so many people who've been hurt or disillusioned by church. And if you haven't been, stick around. Because people like me are here. People like you. I mean, not all of you, but some of you, definitely. Like the church is full of imperfect people. At some point, someone's going to offend you. At some point, someone's going to wrong you. At some point, the very people you thought were going to be there for you are going to hurt you. And I'm not saying church is terrible. I'm just preparing you for the fact that there will be some bumps in the road. Don't be discouraged. Let me tell you, if you go on an investment journey, when it comes to your finances, there will be some bumps in the road. Don't be discouraged. Keep going. If you come on to an investment journey when it comes to community, don't be discouraged. There will be some bumps in the road. Keep on going. Have a vision. You know the church in Acts, that amazing church that was full of life? Man, they got full of the Holy Spirit, people getting saved, added to the church. It was awesome. People were selling their properties to provide for the poor. It was this amazing community. That same church 
people felt left out. And they had to deal with it in Acts chapter 6. Some people lied to make themselves look good. Acts chapter 5. And people wanted to control how outsiders were integrated. Acts chapter 15. But it was an amazing church. Have a realistic vision for church. You know, Jesus, his community let him down. When he was, went to the cross, they all deserted him. One of his mates, Judas, betrayed him. Imagine he let the way they treated him to determine how he treated them. Or imagine he let the way you treated him determine the way he treated you. Isn't it amazing that Jesus' story with his mates that let him down and betrayed him, it didn't end there. He kept going and he saw God redeem that situation. And the amazing thing is so often when you're in difficult situations, in a community context and you keep going, you give God the opportunity to redeem the thing that was broken. But if you leave, you'll never have that chance. I'm not saying there aren't reasons to move churches. Of course there are. I'm just saying it needs to be a prayerful, considered thing, choice and not just because it's inconvenient and difficult. There were a bunch of people that were the core of this church in the early days when Ross took over. And they had been a part of Olive Tree. Olive Tree's gone for like 30 years, uh, more than 30 years, I think. Um, and um, has been running for that long. And there were a bunch of people. And at one stage, that church was like 400 people. And then there was a change of leadership and some stuff happened. And that church dwindled and dwindled and dwindled. And then there were 200 people. Then there were 150 people. Then there were about 80 people. I can see some Kathy and Vince over there. They were part of that journey. Some of the people that were a part of that journey of watching that happen. And you know how difficult it was for people? And I remember having conversations because I was overseas at that stage. I'd been a part of that church and I'd left to be overseas for a few years. And I remember asking people, why did you stay? And they said, you know, I really wanted to go, but I prayed and I really felt God tell me to stay. So I stayed and it was hard. And then God sent this young pastor called Ross Roger. And then I knew I, got, I needed to be here and I needed to get behind him and I needed to serve his vision. I needed to help build this church. And those are the people that form the core of what's been built here today. Their ability to have vision for the future and say, God, you give me my marching orders. I've got vision for what you've got for me. Allowed God to build in this space. Jesus said something amazing. He said, uh, and Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. When we do God's will, it nourishes our soul, even if that will is inconvenient and difficult. And so often we think the convenient thing, the Netflix instead of life group, that's going to nourish my soul. And it doesn't. Number five, it's a faith issue, and this is where we end. Here's the faith issue that you actually believe biblical principles work. Acts 20:35, And I've been a constant example. This is Paul the Apostle speaking just before he's going to get arrested and tried. And I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. 
You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Do you really believe that? Because like if someone wants to give me a car, well, I've got to give a car away. I'm like, you know, is it? Is it really more blessed to give than receive? You see, God's kingdom is a bit of an upside down kingdom and sometimes he asks us to do things that are counterintuitive but it's full of life and blessing. Do you really believe that if you don't forsake the gathering of the saints, there will be benefit for you? Do you really believe that what you reap is going to be what you sow, that if you don't get tired of doing what's good in due time, you're going to reap a harvest of blessing? Do you really believe whenever you have the opportunity to, good, to do good, you should do it? Do you really believe nourishment comes from doing the will of the Father? Do you really believe it's more blessed to give than receive? See, if you don't really believe that, you'll never invest in a community. But if you believe that, God gets involved with you and you get to see his hand. Amen. Amen. See, the biggest thing about Chris the consumer and Ian the investor is not just who they were, but it's who they became. When you've got a consumption mindset when it comes to people and community, you're always looking for what someone else can add to you. And you're always looking for the next best thing because if you're looking for someone else can add to you and something better comes along, then you bail on that to go there. But when you learn to invest through good seasons and bad seasons, through the ups and downs of life, when people let you down and when they don't, you get to see a legacy of your life. You get to look back and say, hey, there's lives that are different because... God in his grace used people like me to sow into other people's lives. And along the way, you'll make some phenomenal friends because you were shoulder to shoulder with them, building his church. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your abundance. I thank you for your absolute goodness to us, God. I thank you that you invested in us. You had you have the biggest investment mindset of all. You invested, you sowed your son to reap a harvest of many sons and daughters. And Father God, I pray that we'd be like you. Invest in others. In Jesus' name. Amen.